You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. But we are calling this series, Celebrating Jesus in the Tabernacle. All right? We did a series uh, earlier this year called Celebrating Jesus in the Biblical Feasts. And we'll be using a book that might be familiar to some of you uh, PI students, or maybe you've been involved in PI in the past. It's called The Grace Blueprint, The Story of the Tabernacle by Lisa Taylor. will be our secondary resource after the Holy Writ, but um, we're very um, excited to share some of these things with you. And if you didn't know, the tabernacle is a major topic in the Bible. A theologian by the name of Witsius made this amazing observation that God created the whole world in six days, but he took 40 days to instruct Moses about the tabernacle. Think about that. 40 days versus six days. In fact, it takes six chapters to capture the incredible detailed plan that God himself gave to Moses for the tabernacle on Mount Sinai. And if that weren't enough, there are an additional 50 chapters in the Bible to discuss all things related to the tabernacle, including the priests, the sacrificial system, all that was at work within the tabernacle. It takes over 50 chapters for God to explain what was supposed to go on. This sounds like a big deal to God, okay? God spent more time on the tabernacle than any other topic in the Bible. Did you know that? I did not know that till today, and my mind is blown. And so tonight I thought that would grab our attention. I hope it does, because I've taught Bible studies for a little while now, and I am personally amused by the relief that most people feel when we get through the Old Testament and get to the New Testament. I mean, let's be honest, that's a real thing for most people. There's a lot in the Old Testament that's kind of gory, and complicated, and sometimes we don't really know what to do with it. I, I, I'm mad that, that guys had so many wives in the Old Testament. I don't think that's okay, you know? And when people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. I just know it's not okay anymore, and I thank God for it. <laughs> but, you know, I think if we're honest, the Old Testament can be intimidating to us a lot. Maybe we can't piece together. We don't understand primarily because we're not Jews, not supposed to be Jews, you know, and, um, you know, maybe it's a little dry for you, and I understand that too. And I've even heard some people describe the Old Testament, specifically the law, which is kind of what we're talking about. I've heard them imply that it's irrelevant somehow. And the more I study, the more convinced I become that that mindset is dangerous for us to have. In fact, I believe that it borders on blasphemous to believe that the Old Testament, that the law and all about it is somehow no longer important or of any value to us. I don't think that that is true, and I certainly don't think that the New Testament negates it in any way. And so this book, all of it, is God's story. From Genesis to Revelation, there is importance to all of it because all Scripture points to Jesus Christ. 
and to his love for humanity. And so it is our opportunity, it is our privilege to understand what that means as the Bible progresses from book to book. And so this great love that God has for all of us begins with Eden. It begins in the book of Genesis. And here in Eden, we see where God wanted us. And that's very important to understand. A lot of good people have good questions. If God is good, then why? Right? Then why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why does sin run rampant in people's lives? Those are all good questions. And I think the right answer begins with, well, let's look at God's original design in order to determine God's goodness to us and his intentions for us. Because therein lies the real answer that we were created in the context of Eden, of eternity with God, uninterrupted, perfect fellowship with him. That is where the Bible begins. And the rest of scripture is the story of how God gets us back to that incredible place that is Eden, known to us now as heaven, where we will have unbroken fellowship. We will have a complete unified connection to our creator once again. And so this is what I present to you tonight as we begin this series, that we cannot fully understand the New Testament without the context that the Old Testament gives to us for it, okay? We cannot fully appreciate the work of the cross, all that Jesus suffered and did for us, all that Jesus' death made possible for us. We cannot fully appreciate or understand the depth of his commitment to us without first understanding the Old Testament and what it shows us about God's master plan for mankind. This plan begins in Genesis. And so this series will not be exhaustive by any means. We're only doing it five weeks in the month of September, so breathe a sigh of relief. There is much to be said about the tabernacle. We will not even scratch the surface. I encourage you to do personal study on your own. It will be very enriching. I can promise you that. So this is not going to be exhaustive, and my hope, my goal, is that it will not be exhausting either to you or to I. As I was studying today, I felt like my brain was just oozing out of my ears. Jesus, please help me. Help me, Lord. But our approach to the tabernacle will be very similar to our approach to the biblical feast that we did earlier this year. And so for this study, the substance will be our priority, not simply the structure Of the tabernacle. Okay, and that's what I mean by that is this. Remember the feasts of the Lord, the Lord called them holy convocations, meaning dress rehearsals for the Jewish people, right? It was an illustration for them to prepare them, to help them better understand God's plan for them, and to prepare them to recognize the Messiah when he showed up. Do you remember that? Yes. And so the Jews erred in their devotion to the feasts and those practices. So much so that they actually missed Jesus when he showed up. The point I'm trying to make is they were consumed with the structure of those celebrations. And over time, they lost the substance behind all that God had asked them to do. And that's what's sad is when he showed up, they didn't even recognize him because the substance had been lost on them. They were stuck on the structure. And I don't want that to be 
our hang-up when it comes to this study of the tabernacle. I don't want to lose you in the many, many details as interesting, as powerful as they are. But our intention is to teach the substance of the tabernacle and how it all points, all the furniture, everything points to Jesus Christ himself. And I hope that's something you can get excited about. No matter what your previous experience has been with the tabernacle or, or not been, I think we can all get excited about something that presents to us who Jesus is, hopefully in a fresh new way. And so God told Moses the point of every detail that he was given was for his people to be in his presence. God wanted to dwell with his people. So let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 25, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm going to use the New King James Version tonight. I like to change things up sometimes. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, badger skins, a wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary, known to us as the tabernacle, that I may dwell among them. That was the point of all of these things, all of these supplies. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And so our objective tonight is very simple, is to begin to see Jesus in the tabernacle plan. All right, so here we go. The tabernacle in the wilderness has many names in the Bible. I think you've probably realized this in one way or another. It's referred to as the tabernacle of the congregation, tabernacle of testimony, the tent of witness, the tabernacle of Moses, the sanctuary. All of these terms point to the tabernacle in the wilderness that we will be studying this month. This structure that we're going to look at was what would eventually become Solomon's temple. You guys remember Solomon's temple? All right. That whole concept came from Moses's tabernacle in the wilderness. And so the purpose of the tabernacle was very clear from the moment God introduced the concept to Moses. It was to give God's people a way to be in his presence for him to be able to dwell among them. And so in studying this, we will see the incredible intentionality of God in everything related to the tabernacle. The writer of Hebrews identifies this for us in chapter 8, verse 5. Let's look at it together. Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. He's talking about the tabernacle. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The tabernacle was a shadow of heavenly things. That's exciting. The author of the book we're using makes this very astute observation that I want to share with you, that the tabernacle plan, in essence, is an illustration of the reality of heaven. I believe in heaven, don't you? It's somewhere that I want to go, and the more I know about it, the more excited I can be about it and look forward to it. But it is the revelation of God's master plan. The tabernacle 
was a divine blueprint. We have a lot of these around here. I asked Pastor Tom, and he gave me the Oxford one. Isn't he precious? Hallelujah. This is holy. Yes. All right. So, it is a blueprint of the incarnation. The tabernacle provides us with types or illustrations of who Christ is and what the church is supposed to be. Not only was the tabernacle a representation of everything Jesus Christ would be and would do, but Hebrews chapter 9 makes us know that every single piece of furniture, and we're going to look at it in the coming weeks, was also an illustration of the ministry of Jesus Christ. All the things that he would provide to us through the incarnation, through him coming in the form of a man and walking the earth with us and among us are illustrated through those pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. So stay tuned. This is going to be very glorious. All right. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 through 15. Again, I want to point out the fact that the New Testament points back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament points to the New Testament because it's all intertwined and it's all important. All right, verse 9. It, meaning the tabernacle, was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came. Here we go, talking about Jesus in the tabernacle. He came as the high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, a a template, if you will, for the future is what he's talking about. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason... He, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. And so the tabernacle was illustrating for them and proves to us now everything that Jesus did for us when he came. And so in Exodus chapters 25 through 30, God speaks directly to Moses about the plans and about the purpose of the tabernacle. And when you read these chapters, it's very clear that God was the master architect, if you will, of the tabernacle project, all right? He created the drawings. He picked out the materials. He gave Moses the exact measurements. All Moses had to do, and this is a really big job, is to do exactly what God told him to do for 40 days and 40 nights. Yikes. Was he taking notes? Like, what was happening up there? I don't know. But I would be very intimidated. Because God tells him, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And so God's essentially saying, Mo, just pay attention. Everything I'm showing you, I'm telling you exactly what to do. You don't get to make any choices. 
You don't get to pick out any furnishings, any finishings. You don't get to pick out any colors. You don't have to worry about this, Moses, because it's all so important, so significant to me and what I'm communicating to my people that I'm going to do it myself. And so we could say that maybe Moses was the, the contractor, if you will, of the tabernacle. God gave him the plans, and it was Moses' job to execute them exactly. And so I think it's very important and something that I've never really considered uh, before to note the context for when God gives this blueprint to Moses. It's very powerful to realize that for those 40 days and 40 nights when Moses was on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, think about what we know. We talked about this in the feast series that we did, that the mountain shook with the voice of God, that there was smoke enveloping the top of the mountain where Moses was, that there was fire. It was an intimidating scene. Children of Israel were fearful even for Moses to be up there in the presence of God. And and God was not just giving Moses the Ten Commandments, slowly etching them out for 40 days and 40 nights. He wasn't even just giving him all of the law, which was quite extensive if you look into it. It's great bedtime reading material if sheep aren't working for you. Read the law. Woo! Get relaxed. Hallelujah. All right? But God gives him the tabernacle plan too. That's how important it is. The mountain is shaking, not just because God is writing on tablets of stone his law for the very first time, not just because he's setting up um, Israel's culture and society for the very first time, but also because God is telling Moses, I am going to dwell among my people for the very first time. And this is exactly how I'm going to do it. No more and no less. And it's up to you. To make that happen. And so this was something that God had never done before. Think about it with me. I I think critically about it with me, if I can put it like that. With Adam and Eve, God came down and walked with them in the garden, right? Yes. With Noah, Noah built an ark. God spared Noah and his family from God's ultimate wrath and judgment, the flood. He put them on the ark. Okay, that was an extension of God's presence, to be sure. With Abraham, we know that Abraham had friendship with God. God actually made a covenant agreement with Abraham. But now, for the first time, God identifies the children of Israel as his, my people. Not just descendants of Abraham, not just descendants of, of Jacob and Isaac and Joseph, but now they're his people. And God is going to come down and dwell among them permanently. That is God's desire that he's making clear. Exodus chapter 25 verse 40 says, See to it that you make them according to the pattern which is shown you on the mountain. God was so serious, you guys, about this setup. That every detail was chosen by him. And I just want to say here for a moment. I love this part about God, that he cares about the details. I love that God is organized. Any OCD people out there that appreciate that and just claim, that's God's divine nature in me. It's not a problem. This is how God is. I live with a creative person. And it seems to me in my 40 years, now I don't have a degree, it's just personal observation, 
that, that you're either like this really organized, structured person or you're kind of a creative, free spirit kind of personality. You kind of bend one way or the other. You don't have to look at anybody, but you kind of bend one way or the other. Some, some lucky people can kind of bend to and fro, but you usually bend hard one way. And Tom is like this, he's a brilliant person. He, he doesn't give himself enough credit. He has incredible ideas. His vision, he's very creative. He can do all kinds of design work. He can like imagine it and he can figure out how to do it. It's, it's incredible. But he drives me crazy because he's not organized. And we share an office, which is devastating to me. In fact, when I study for Growth University, I cannot study in his office because all of this stuff just overwhelms me mentally. I, I cannot focus, you know. He's got like this inspiration board behind his desk, if you've been there. It has so many papers, so many cards people have given him, so much that anytime some DCA student gets knocked against the wall, papers just fall off the wall. And I sit there like, oh, my Lord. I've done some spring cleaning without him knowing. And he has so much stuff that I've gotten rid of stuff, and he doesn't even know it yet. His, his desk always has piles. There's piles on the floor. And I try, and he gets very offended because he has his system. He knows where things are. I don't believe it because once a week he loses his keys. He just, he's so far off in the future that the present is a mystery to him. That's what I tell him. Whereas for me, I'm very basic. I'm very simple. I can clean off my desk every day and feel good about it or organize it in some fashion. I don't have a lot of big ideas, but I do know where things are. And I do know how to be neat. I know how to organize his ideas and try to help him get them rolling. But, but as far as vision and all of that, no, no, no. My feet are nailed to the ground. I am very concerned with the here and now. So hopefully between the two of us, there's some balance there. But not God. God is both creative and orderly all at the same time. And that's what makes him God. That he can do both and he does it very well. And so in the next four weeks, we're going to look at the tabernacle plan, its furnishings, its function. And I want to show you a couple of slides uh, just to help you visualize the details that I'm quickly referring to because we're not going to get into any of them tonight. But I, I have one of the layout of the tabernacle. Oh man, you probably can't even see that very well. But it's a beautiful map. We'll, we'll make sure you can see it next time. This is a good test run for us. But here we see the outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies, and those little words that you may not be able to identify is a perfect layout of every piece of furniture, beginning with the altar of burnt offerings, the laver, the table of showbread, the menorah. All of this, as we will see, is positioned. The Bible says Moses put it in the tabernacle just as God had told him to. Not just where God wanted it, but it was made exactly how God told him to. Even the dimensions of these rooms, the curtains that separated them, the door frames themselves, everything was just like God asked Moses to make it. And then I have one more slide for you, and that's just a list of some of the materials. So this picture here, you've probably seen something like it. It's supposed to give you kind of an inside view 
of the inner part of the tabernacle. You see the, the um, altar outside, and then as you get into the holy place, we can kind of see because they've, they've taken the cover off for us. But here we have the colors listed and the metals listed and the materials listed, and we're going to get into why those things are significant and how even those details point to Jesus Christ and who he is. So it is our app time now. We're going to do app time a little bit early. All right, and here's the question I want to pose for you to consider with your friends around you. What does the overall concept of the tabernacle reveal to you about God? Maybe this is something you've never thought of. Maybe you don't know a lot about the tabernacle, but just this idea, maybe just what we've presented to you tonight, what do you feel like it tells you about God? Are you ready? On your mark, get set, go! you'll allow me just a few more minutes to conclude this introduction to the tabernacle series and I want to do something a little bit different but I um I guess different than what I could have done is what I should say but I um felt very clear direction to go this route something that Lisa Taylor presents in the book that I think is so powerful to consider that the presence of God in our lives is something that we have to have. We absolutely need it. God created us to have that need that only he can fulfill. And God told Moses that he wanted to dwell among his people. We're not isolated from God. It wasn't just some big tease in Eden that, well, you messed it up, so good luck. Wish we could have hung out longer. That's not how God felt. God spent the entire Bible, all that we know, is written to help us understand that God kept reaching for us. He kept wanting to be with us. He wanted to make himself accessible to us again. And doesn't that concept of God dwelling, what he said to Moses, doesn't that sound familiar to you? Isn't that something that you and I celebrate once a year at Christmas time? Because Matthew quoted Isaiah's prophecy that said that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and that she would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's something that we see over and over again, especially in the New Testament, this idea that God wants to dwell among us. John put it this way in chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so from the beginning of the Bible, God's plan has always been to dwell among us. Not from a distance, but to be among us, to be a part of our lives, and hopefully the everyday structure and routine of our lives. That he doesn't want to just be with us, but he knows we need his presence in our lives. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may Abide with you forever. The spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for presence is panim. Now this is so interesting. You know I love this stuff. Panim means face. Its actual meaning means to have someone's full attention. Anybody ever turned a child's face towards you? Come here. Look at me. That's what the Hebrew word for presence that we keep reading over and over again actually means that you and I don't have to say, God, give me your full attention. But when God was promising his presence... He was promising them his full attention. Stand with me, please. I want to share with you quickly four reasons, four little statements. They're going to put them up for me on the screen. Why God's presence matters in our lives. Here we go. Number one, God's presence gives us rest. Exodus thirty-three fourteen. God told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Amen. Number two, God's presence is evidence of God's grace in our lives. Moses pleaded with God when he got upset about the golden calf. He said, God, if you leave us, what is going to distinguish us from everybody else? If we don't have your presence, then your grace is no longer with us as a people. Number three, God's presence distinguishes God's people. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood, Peter said. We are a holy nation. And his presence in our lives identifies us as such to the world around us. And number four, God's presence transforms us. I love those, those testimonies people give that say, you know, after they received the Holy Spirit or they had their first major encounter with God, they were never the same. And that the people in their lives were really freaked out because it was like they were a brand new person. Because that is the power of God's full attention set upon us. It transforms us. And we too are given that same opportunity. Nobody illustrates this better than Moses himself. When he came down from that mountain, he was visibly changed. So much so that the people asked him to put a veil on. They were overcome. 
by the presence and the holiness of God that had set upon him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is our last portion of scripture. We're going to read verses 12 through 18. Please follow along with me if you can. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. The presence of God transforms us. Thank you, Jesus, that he is willing and able to do that for us. And so I want us to pray. And I just feel in my heart that there are people here who need to feel God's presence in their lives. Whether it's just that emotional connection that maybe you haven't felt for a few days or you feel like you need it in a special way right now. Or maybe you feel like you don't have God's full attention for one, way, for one reason or another. Maybe there are prayers that are unanswered. Maybe you're just going through a difficult season and God seems silent to you. I want to pray this verse that God promised Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Because that is the word of the Lord for us tonight in 2021, that he will go with us, that we have his full attention, that he is for us, that he is walking alongside us, he's in front of us, he follows after us, the Bible says. We are completely surrounded by the presence and holiness of God. And I want us to be reminded of that tonight because that is what this blueprint of the tabernacle was all about. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your presence that is here in this room. God, I just feel the authority of your word at work in this room. There are people here who are very discouraged. There are people here who are hurting in very deep ways. They are aching in their souls to just know that you are aware of them, that they have your attention, that your presence is going to surround them and see them through this situation. And so, God, I'm asking you to do what you promised Moses you would do, that your presence would go with every one of us and that you would give us rest. It is your word. It is your will. It is your promise to us, and we claim it in Jesus' name. Let us abide with you every day until you return. And the church said, in Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.